Well, I'm glad to be here with you. Like I said, on, I was on vacation last week, and so I didn't get the full effect of, of being here in worship, but I tell you, I was close to the Lord. I was there on the lake. Um, I, I woke up on Sunday morning at about 4 o'clock, and, and I put on a brisket to smoke so that the whole family could eat that night. I was listening to the sermon. I was sitting there with my Bible open, and so I was worshiping. I just wasn't here with you, um, and so I missed out on that, but, but I appreciate you guys being here, and, and thanks to Matt for... Um, for speaking last week, and it was it was a great message, um, and, and I'll tell you, I'm just going to jump into this because I, I don't want to beat a dead horse. Oh gosh, I always forget. Can I show you this real quick? Anybody see what that says? That says children's worship. Okay. <laughs> and I pinned that on my paper when I was sitting right there, thinking, man, I got. So if you're, I mean, kids are already gone now, so it's <laughs> a moot point. I'm too busy trying to tell jokes that aren't funny that I forget those things. And so, anyways, uh, I, so, so I'll continue. I, I don't want to beat a dead horse, okay, but, but we're in an abnormal situation for this church. For the past 16 plus years, we've had uh, one man of God leading us as a flock, and he's done a great job. Uh, he is loved, respected, and esteemed not only by us his former congregation, but by the community. And, and it's been one of those things where the past four years I've been here, I've grown under Sean's ministry. I've become a dad twice. I've been able to, to be entrusted with the pulpit, which is a scary thing, um, multiple times. And, and so I've seen myself grow because of what Sean has done here and through his ministry. But um, I'm, I'm not giving his eulogy. I mean, he's alive. He's just serving in a different place, right? He's in Lubbock, and I trust that he's going to do great things in Lubbock uh, because of the Lord, just like he did here. But the, the plain and simple truth is this, that he is gone, and he's not coming back. Uh, we, we don't have a pastor right now. Okay. And there are two lines of thought, and, and one is, man, let's just let's get after this, and the other is, let's just, let's just stand pat and see what happens and see uh, what goes on and wait for the next guy to come in, and let's just, you know, let's just, let's just hold on and, and bide our time until it's the right time to move forward. And I'll tell you, I don't think that's what the Lord will have for us. Um, this is God's church. This is the Lord's church. This isn't Sean's church. It never was, and he would be the first one to tell you that. So as the Lord's church, it's important for us to do what is tasked for us. Here's our, our mission statement. I don't know if, if we verbalize this to you guys enough, but it says this. We, First Baptist Church of Eastland, exist to build a strong community, redeemed and renewed by the gospel, by being a church for the community of Eastland that labors to advance the gospel throughout the nations. That's our purpose statement, our core values. We, we want to reach other people with the gospel so that we can connect them to each other, to us, and to the Lord so that we can see them grow and grow alongside them that in every single day, in every single instance of our lives, we would seek the Lord in all that we do. That's why we exist. That's why we're here. And so I, I think it would do a disservice to the Lord for us to say, man, let's just wait to see what happens. We've got to keep going. We have to keep going. It's time to push forward. It's time to be unified. And it's time to make things happen for the Lord. Okay? Um, and, and I think so many things will get in the way. Because Satan knows what this church is capable of. Okay? He knows that, that a movement of God cannot be stopped. And, and he knows that God's people doing God's business is a dangerous thing for him. And so he'll use anything to stand in the way. 
even good things, right? We, we see people and we say, man, I want to follow that person and, and that person's going to get us to where we're going. I'll tell you, if that person says, follow me and not let's follow the Lord together, be careful. But here's the deal. Satan uses even good things to stand in the way of us reaching our goal. And I think ultimately our goal is um, to, to see the lost come to know Christ. I'm a dad to two wonderful little girls, but I really, you know, am in over my head sometimes when I parent, okay? Anybody else? Can I get an amen on that? We thought it was a good idea, I guess, what, maybe six months ago um, to entice our our oldest little girl, Berkeley, who is two and a half, uh, that if she will use the potty in the big girl potty, we'll take her to Chuck E. Cheese. Anybody been to Chuck E. Cheese? Who's been to Chuck E. Cheese lately? I mean, come on. Seriously, that place is awesome. And so it was a treat for me as much as it was for her. And so and we load up, and, and so now every time we go to Chuck E. Cheese, or every time we get in the car, she wants to go to Chuck E. Cheese. And that's her goal as a two-and-a-half-year-old is to go to Chuck E. Cheese every single time. Matter of fact, I, I've got this little video I want you guys to watch. It's just 45 seconds long, and this is a snippet of a two-and-a-half-minute uh, video clip that we took just to show you guys how excited she gets about Chuck E. Cheese. So that is... Um, She is a Chuck E. Cheese fanatic. She's got a big Chuck E. Cheese at the house, and she loves Chuck E. Cheese, which is really weird because he's kind of creepy. But, <laughs> but we were in the car the other day, okay, and we went to, to Fort Worth for some reason, and, and I don't know if you guys know, right, um, as you get into Fort Worth on Cherry Lane, there's the big uh, trampoline place right there, the flight deck, and then behind that there's Academy, and then there's a Toys R Us, and so we thought, man, we're going to be good parents, and we're going to go to uh, Toys R Us to get our girls uh, a toy and be great and then I'm going to be the dad and go to academy right and so because that's what dads do and so we pull in there and we pull and we go to Chuck E. Cheese to Toys R Us and right behind Toys R Us is guess what Chuck E. Cheese and man that sign is so high right? and it's like sheesh and so we go there and I'm thinking man I've got to do something to distract her and so we go this way and I tell her, look, look this way. This is the trampoline place where we jumped up and down, right? And so we make it past Chuck E. Cheese the first time. And I'm like, yes, dad win, right? And then she likes the phone. Anybody have toddlers who like the phone? I know you guys act like toddlers with your phone sometimes. Um, and, and so on our way back, I hand her the phone, right? And she's so excited about the phone. And she's watching videos of Chuck E. Cheese, actually, um, as we pass Chuck E. Cheese and we keep her head from turning. The point I'm trying to make is this. Her main goal when she enters that car every single time, she'd be okay if we went to Chuck E. Cheese. She likes trampolines. And she likes the cell phone. But... Dad played the mean card, right? And I took her focus off of what her goal was by giving her something she thought was good. And I'm afraid that Satan will do those things to us, especially in this time. Man, our goal has to be unified. We have to be unified to reach this community for Christ. We can't let things get in the way, even good things that pull our focus off of the Lord. But how do we do that? How do we make sure we're in line with God and with each other? I think Matt obviously did a great job last week, and he looked in, in 1 Corinthians and talked about the Spirit and the power of the Spirit and unity. Um, and today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter number 2. Um, and, and Paul wrote the letter to, uh, of Ephesians to a church that was comprised of two different people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And you can't get more opposite than that, okay? The Jews were God's chosen people. The Gentiles were a traditionally pagan culture. And, and so now, because of what Christ has done on the cross, they're trying to unify, and they're really having a hard time. 
And so in, in verses 1 through 10 of that chapter, I've, I've preached on that before. That's a beautiful passage of what it's like for us to be reconciled to God, for us to realize who we were, what Christ has done for us, and who we are now. And Paul writes in 11 through 22 kind of the same outline for the church. Who were we? what Christ has done for us, and who are we now. And so that's where we're going to pull from this morning. And we're going to read the entire passage, uh, and then we'll, we'll dig into it. So if you guys wouldn't mind standing as we read the Word of God this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22, say this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple of, uh, in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your desire to have us in your presence. God, thank you for your desire to, to see a unified church. And God, I pray that, that you protect us, God, that, that, you make us uh, that you make us one, Lord, that you truly do, that, that we can be on the same page when it comes uh, to fulfilling your goal, which is seeing people come to know you. And so God, I pray that this morning as we dive into the scripture that you would bless our time together, that you would pierce hearts where we need to be pierced, that you would step on toes where they need to be stepped on, and that we would get right with you in order to make a difference for you in this community. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can sit down. Sometimes I'm tempted to make you stand up, so I'm not the only one. Okay, uh, let's... I thought maybe somebody would at least stand up there. Um, so, so here's the deal, okay? That, that scripture is an awesome passage about what it means to be unified as a church. And here are three things I want to pull from that that hopefully we can remember, okay? And I'm not like, this is not like doomsday, like, like I feel like this is what our church is, okay? But like I said before, God can use these situations for great things, and Satan is always on the lookout uh, to throw a wrench in God's plans, okay? And so um, th the first thing to keep us unified is this, remember where we came from. Remember where we came from. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision or the Jews, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It's like a great place, right? Um, so, so Paul is writing this letter, like I said before, that was, that was uh, to a church that was made up of two different types of people, the Jews and the Gentiles, right? Uh, the religious people were the Jews and the Gentiles were the newcomers to the faith who didn't really fit the status quo, okay? 
and, and the Jews had this sign of what it meant to be a Christian, and that was circumcision. And that was the ritual that the Jews performed that, that made them, that identified them with Christ, okay? That it was, it was supposed to be an act of spiritual worship that, um, that, that signified not only physical alteration, but the cutting away of sin from the heart, okay? But the problem with that is that the Jews had just used it as a way to take pride in themselves. It was no longer spiritual. It was something that was just physical only. And so they held it up as a badge of pride and they said, this is who we are. We're in the circumcision. You're not, you can't be part of, because that's what the covenant says. We have to be circumcised. You can't be, you're not, you're not part of it. Okay. And so it's what they held over the heads of the Gentiles. It was an action that they did. Uh, Paul refers to it as, um, which is made in the flesh by hands. Okay. So, so it became something that was just ritualistic and of the hand. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that had real weight and meaning. And I wonder how many of us in the church today, and, and we can generalize this as far as we want to or, or narrow it down as, as much as we want to, how many of us struggle with the same kind of thing? How many of us struggle with the physical things that signify who we are? You know what I'm talking about? How many of us have been to churches or maybe you in your, your deepest of minds or hearts can come in here and say, I can't believe they wear that to church. Can you believe they wear that to church? I can't believe they're sitting next to that person or I can't believe, you know what, I've been here for 50 years and this is my church and I will not let it be, right? Or, or I grew up in a church like that. I grew up in a church where, um, where there was a pastor who came in and a wonderful saint, a lady that I held, it, held in high regard um, was a grandmotherly figure to me who sat in front of me and said, this is our church, we've been here forever and I'm not paying my tithe until he's gone, right? And so, so we use our statuses and we use things on the outside. We use our understanding or our money or our community status or whatever uh, as signifiers of our spiritual relationship with God. But we know deep down inside in our heart of hearts that we couldn't be any further away from him. Sure, maybe there's a time or two where we come in and we feel the spirit moving and we can jam to the funky bluegrass, you know, hymn that we sang earlier, right? Because it was cool. Where's Larry? He was sitting over there earlier. Anyways, this, anybody like that? I thought it was pretty cool. You guys can talk back. It's not just a one-man show here. But we look good on the outside, but we're so far from where we need to be on the inside. And so we measure up to one another to make ourselves feel good about things. Um, and that's what Paul was alluding to when he was, was, was poking at the Jews, saying that, yeah, yeah you're, you're circumcised, but that's supposed to be deeper than what it is, and you've made it a surface-level thing. And, and I would say be careful not to be a surface-level Christian. It's easy to fall into that trap. So we move from the Jews to the Gentiles, which is what we are. We're not Jewish, and so that makes us... Gentiles, and here's what Paul says about us and, and where we were, and it's kind of a scary situation, um, and, and it says, he says this in verse 12, that we were separated from Christ. We had no share in the benefits of Jesus, no share in the benefits of God's prophecy, okay? Um, the, the Jewish people were prophesied a Messiah, uh, and the Gentile people were on the outside looking in. Same thing goes with their citizenship. He says in verse 12, they were excluded or alienated from their citizenship in Israel, right? So Israel was God's chosen race, his chosen nation. And they were supposed to be a figurehead of, of what Christ and God was supposed to be about. But instead they lived as, as, you know, as a paganistic culture too, multiple times when, when we see in the Old Testament. But 
we are not promised the things that Israel was promised. Does that make sense? We're, we're on the outside looking into what it means to be a citizen of Israel. Foreigners to the covenants of the promise in verse 12. God made a marvelous gospel promise to Abraham that he and his descendants would enjoy the blessings of God's kingdom. And he made that promise all the way back in Genesis 12. That is the nation of Israel. And then promise after promise after promise after promise that he prophesied through the nation of Israel. We are on the outside looking in. We can't get there. There's nothing that we can do ourselves to make us right with Christ, to put us on the inside looking out. And here's the one that is the most convicting and probably the most painful to think about. Uh, And that is that we are without hope and without God in the world. What a bad place to be, right? All the other things are bad, but this is even worse, especially in the world today. Our world is hopeless, right? You, You see acts of violence all the time. It seems like every time I turn on the TV, uh, there's something about um, there's something about protests, or there's something about police officers, um, or there's something about whose life matters. That everybody's life matters, right? Respect the authority. You know what I'm saying? And so, but we live in a place, and I won't get off on my soapbox. I'll stay right here, okay? Because I can go for a while. Um, but but we live in a day and age where there is no hope in the world. I used to um, used to work in in an odd place, okay. Um, and, and I saw on Twitter this morning, it was like, like the hashtag of the day was like the last seven jobs I've had. You guys see that? Maybe not. One of my last seven jobs was actually a hearse driver for a funeral home. Uh, it was kind of weird. It was just kind of like a side thing. You know, anybody interested in driving dead people around? It's kind of fun. It's a great conversation piece. Kind of feels like this. <laughs> um, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Seriously. They talk a little bit more. Um, so, so we're without hope and without God in the world in Ephesians 2.12. And, and um, long ago, the Greek writer Theocritus wrote, hopes are for the living, the dead are without hope. I, I can't tell you how many times I went to a funeral service and saw somebody whose family member had no hope. And, and, you know, here we've seen wonderful saints of God pass on from this life to, to the next. And, and we've been, I've been able to be back in the sound booth and assist families with slideshows. And, and that is a ministry for me. And it's a blessing to be able to do that. And it's so comforting for, for the, the, the speaker to stand up here and say, this person knew the Lord. And we'll see this person again one day. But man, I've been part of, of graveside services where I've been trying to help the family and, and they're lowering the casket in the ground and they're having to pry their relatives off. And you can hear wailing and you can hear crying and that's the only sounds that are coming from that graveside because they know there's no hope. They don't have any hope that they'll ever see their relative again. And so the, the, the fact that we were without hope and without God in the world is a desperate place to be. Desperate place to be. Whew. Gentiles, we ain't got much going for us, right? Apart from Christ. Not much at all. And Paul uses these two verses, verses 11 and 12, to kind of put everything in perspective, to kind of level the playing field. Have you guys ever heard that, that uh, quote, uh, the ground is level at the foot of the cross? You guys ever hear that? Right? It is. We are equally condemned at the foot of the cross. We're equally redeemable, but we're equally condemned. The only thing that we bring to our salvation experience is our sin. That's the only thing we have going for us, right? That we can bring and say, oh, everything that Christ has done to redeem us is 
on him. We were bleak without hope apart from God. And that puts us all on the same page. But the remarkable thing is that Christ isn't done. And so in in verses 13 through 18, Paul paints the picture of what Christ has done for us. And I think when when we remember where we came from, uh, it leads us to want to remember what Christ has done for us. And so those two things um, can, can put us on the path of unity. And here is what it says in verses 13 through 18. Paul writes, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments, expressing ordinances that he might create himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached uh, peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So the word reconciliation is the important word here. Uh, and and the, the cool thing about this is I, I love verses 1 through 10 of this passage. And, and like I said before, it gives you the bleak outlook on your life. And then in verse 4, it says two words, but God. And, and, and then Paul tells you what God has done for us through Christ. And that's the same thing here in verse 13, right? 11 and 12 paint a bleak picture for us, uh, but verse 13 says, but now in Christ Jesus. And so because of what Christ has done for us, we can experience reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of a personal relationship between two parties who have been alienated from one another. For example, the Jews and the Gentiles alienated from one another, Christ has reconciled them, right? The Jews and Gentiles and God, the people group and God, those two ideas, right? And so so reconciliation happens twofold in this passage. First is horizontal, right? Everybody know that? You students aren't in school right now, but remember horizontal means this way. Vertical means this way. You got it, Bo? All right, man. So horizontally, the Jews and the Gentiles are lined up. And here's, here's what it says. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one has broken down his flesh, a dividing wall of hostility. And he does that by breaking, by abolishing the law of commandments um, and creating in himself a way for us to experience peace. And so Christ comes to give us peace, to break down the wall um, of hostility. And see what what Paul could be alluding to here, nobody really um, has a hundred percent solid answer, is is the temple. Uh, and in the Jewish temple, it was like this. There was a courtyard, and inside the courtyard was the temple, and inside the temple was a place called the Holy of Holies. Uh, the Holy of Holies, a Jewish priest could go in there. Uh, that's where the presence of God resigned. But there was a veil that, that covered humans from being able to be in the full presence of God. And so no Jew could go beyond that veil. And if he did, immediately he died. And so even further back than that, the courtyard had a wall around the courtyard. And there, were, there was signage on the walls that said something to the effect of, Gentiles, if you come in, you're not leaving alive, right? So the Gentiles weren't permitted to even enter the temple. And so there were walls of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles for sure without outer wall. And that's why Jesus Christ came and he offered something that nobody else could offer. He offered peace in a peaceful way. The only violence Jesus ever had was the violence that he had on the cross. And you read history and, and, and you see things like the Roman Empire offering the, the Pax Romana or, or Roman peace, right? And how did they get that? 
through war, right? By, by bullying everybody and getting them to do what they wanted to do. Nobody has experienced peace in a way peace is supposed to be experienced outside of Jesus Christ. And what he did on the cross, he was able to break the barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles in that outer wall by leveling the playing field. You know, like I said before, we, we're, some of us use, and myself included, use certain things uh, to, to allow us to, to feel good about ourselves when we, when we compare ourselves to other people, right? And so I've been in church for whatever. I'm, I've been serving at, in some way, shape, form, or fashion in ministry for X amount of years, right, or, or whatever. Um, but, but the bottom line is this. We use those things because I think we might be insecure about who we really are. And, and I'll tell you, we're all the same in the sense that we need a savior, savior, but we're all different in the sense that God has wired us for different things. And if you'll spend any time with me, you know that I'm a weirdo. Um, and I like odd things. Um, and so not a lot of other people, like I go into the office and I have this thing called Everyday Carry. Uh, that, it's just a website that shows you what people have in their pockets on a daily basis and what can be useful. And Kim always gives me grief about that. And I walk in and she says, what are you carrying in your pocket today? And so I'm different, right? But it's okay that I'm different because you do some things that are different too. And God has, has wired us to be unique. And if we were all the same, it would be a scary place, especially if you were all like me. Um, but we don't need to let those differences become identifiers. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Compare yourself to Jesus. Man, that's tough, right? <laughs> Because when we compare ourselves to other people, we think, ah, I got this, right? I'm good. I can come to church. I got this going on. But when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we realize that we are completely inadequate and we're completely unworthy. But he loves us anyways. And he gave himself for us anyways. And he transforms us and reconciles us anyways. And so now those differences that, that make us who we are, we can celebrate other people's differences. We can celebrate their uniqueness because God has reconciled us all because of the gospel. And when that happens, relationships are built. And when those relationships are built, life change begins to happen. People start walking with each other through life. And we have a ministry here at church called life groups or community groups or home teams or whatever Sean called it that week. Um, but they're, they're life groups and we chose the word life group because we know what it means to walk through life together. There are some circumstances that I'm gonna face that you've already faced. There are things that I'm not gonna be able to make it through that you'll be able to pull me through because that's how God has wired us, to be different, to be unique, to have experienced things for other people so that we can be in relationship with one another. God has taken our uniquenesses and brought them together. If God can divide the wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, my gosh, God can divide the wall between us, between our um, inadequacies and between our differences. God can unite us to go for the gospel. We can make an impact on this community in ways we never imagined. We can fulfill the purpose that God has given this church together. And we can do all that because of the horizontal reconciliation. But the most beautiful one is obviously the vertical one for me, right? Because without that, we're just high-fiving each other and walking down the streets. But with this, this reconciliation between man and God, now we have a purpose. Now we have a purpose. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So Christ demolished those walls. That wall at the temple that I talked about a while ago, he knocked that down when he hung on the cross. 
when he gave himself up, that veil in the temple was torn in two. And so now we can approach the throne of God with boldness, knowing that Christ is our mediator, knowing that he is there for us, that we can be in the presence of God, that we are in the presence of God. Something that happened once a year that was so ritualistic that only one person could go in, you're afforded that today. Are you kidding me? Seriously? That's nuts. Nuts. But Christ's cross broke the wall and tore the veil. Through Christ's work, I'll read this to you real quick because I thought this was good. To draw near to God and enjoy him forever in a new creation is both mankind's greatest good and the ultimate accomplishment of Christ's earthly work of redemption. Draw near to God and enjoy him forever in your new creation. That's why Christ came to die on the cross, to be, for us to be in that relationship with God. Through Christ's work of redemption and reconciliation, we can experience peace and unity with each other and peace and unity with God. Don't minimize what Christ has done on the cross because it tells us what we have. And lastly, I I would say we we remember where we came from. We remember what Christ has done for us. And, And the third thing I think out of this passage that can line us up to get us on the same track is this. We remember who we are. Remember who we are. For through him, we both have access, the Jews and the Gentiles, the the unique people groups, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. I'll tell you this, we belong together. That's what God intended, we belong together. He created mankind to be in unison with one another, right? Adam and Eve in the garden and he was there with them and he, his fellowship with them is what he longed for. Things happened, right? And we find ourselves where we are now, but because of the redemptive work of Christ, we, differences included, can become one in God. And that's the word I want us to remember right now is one. Scripture tells us here, Paul, Paul points to the fact that we are one nation, right? We're new citizens. We're fellow citizens with the saints, okay? So, so this, now this concept of Gentiles on the outside looking in, now we've made it to the inside because of what Christ has done on the cross. We're new people. And see, I, th- I think that citizen thing is not really a big deal to us because most of us in here were probably born citizens of the USA, and so we're, we're given that right from the get-go and we don't have to do anything to earn it, but, but foreigners who come to our country have to earn the right to be the citizen. You know, they have to take some crazy pledge, right, that, that they have to read and they take classes, right? And I'm sure you know that because you're probably smarter than me, I mean, undoubtedly. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting that the, the gravity of the oath that they take. And so it's important that we're a citizen. So when you read that, that we're fellow citizens, that's not something that just happened, okay? That's something that is a privilege that God has put on us. He says this, we are one family. We are members of the household of God. We've been adopted by God with full privileges to his promise. I've got this little envelope right here. This is an envelope from my attorney. Uh, His name is is Shane. He's from Midland. Great guy, godly man, really cool. Um, But we've adopted both of our little girls. Um, Berkeley on the screen is two and a half uh, that you saw earlier, and Finley is like this, and she's like four months old. 
Um, and this is cool for a couple of different reasons. Okay, this, this came in the mail while we were gone on vacation. Um, and, and this is for a couple of different, first of all, um, this is like the final thing you get when you adopt a kid. And so that means there's no more attorney bills, right? So that's, that's a great thing, okay? Um, but this is the real, the real winner right here, okay? This is um, Finley's birth certificate. So this says that I am her father. Not biologically, she's, I adopted her um, and, and I, uh, I paid, you know, paid the price, right? Because you, you really do, you just buy your kids. Um, and it's pretty expensive. Uh, but, but she brings me so much joy and it's such an honor to have this in my possession. It shows that she is my daughter. Legally and officially, she is my daughter. What did she do to become my daughter? Currently, what she does is she eats, she sleeps, and she goes to the bathroom. And then she's got this really cute smile that gets me every time, seriously. Um, and so that's all that she does. So she can't bring anything to the table. She can't do anything to provide for our family. Berkeley, who's two and a half, all she wants to do is spend my money at Chuck E. Cheese. And so the girls that I have adopted are mine, but they can't give anything to me. That's exactly what we are with God. And do you know what? I promise you, if anybody ever tried to take my kids away, I would fight tooth and nail to keep them, just like God will do for you. And so the, the picture of adoption is a beautiful picture um, that, that we have as believers. Um, and, and I'm pretty sure that Berkeley has one of these too. I just, I don't really know where it is. She has one, my wife's in here somewhere. She files it away, I hope, anyways. Otherwise, okay, we know who the heir is. Um, so, so the idea of adoption is something that, that is so beautiful to me because I know the weight behind it and I know the sacrifice that God gives for us to be his children and nobody can take us away from him. We are one family, different from different people. My daughters are from different people, but they are my daughters and they are my family. And then Paul says that we are one temple. He says, being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Spirit dwells in us as the church. The foundation was laid by the apostles and the prophets in the New Testament, and, and they laid the foundation and they set, Jesus Christ set himself as the cornerstone, the foundation of the building, what the building hinges on. And he said, because of him, we can grow into him and we are the temple. We're supposed to be where the Holy Spirit resides. We're supposed to be the house of the Holy Spirit. And so us together as one, we are one nation, one family, and one temple. United to make a difference for Christ. I'm not sure where this journey takes us, to be totally honest with you. I do know this. I know you have a staff here at the church who is fully committed uh, to, to pressing forward, okay? We're not sitting in the office on Tuesdays saying, okay, Let's fold our hands. Let's not change anything, okay? Let's not go forward. We just want to sit here, okay? We know the gravity of the situation. We know that there are souls who need to hear the gospel, and we know it's our responsibility as First Baptist Church of Eastland to share the gospel with our community. Join us, please. Remember where we came from. Remember what Christ has done, and remember who we are. First Baptist Church of Eastland exists to build a strong community redeemed and renewed by the gospel by being a church for the community of Eastland that labors to advance the gospel throughout the nations. We have to be unified to reach that goal.